0: Welcome to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob.
1: Now now we play in the final in in haifa amazing stadium amazing atmosphere we go up 1-0 we're we're winning 1-0 up up until the 87th minute and they score on us we go to overtime penalty kicks and we lose the final in penalty kicks Mm. and it was so it would have been the first time in 70 something years that the the team would have won super disappointed go into the last game of the season still in second place and we're playing the fourth place team we end up losing that game and finishing in fourth only the top three teams in the league make europa league, uh, qualifying wow so we get eliminated both from winning the final all of the european competitions and chicago is still calling and then they say we want you we want you and the israeli team said you know what if you want to go we'll let you go for free so it was they only wanted to keep me if we were going to be making the european tournaments
2: folks When I finished my 100 miler, I was happy to be done, but I wasn't finished. The reason why my legs weren't completely bonked from running was that I used PR lotion by Momentus. It simply eliminated any lactic acid buildup in my legs and it's the best product I've ever used. Momentus is a leading nutrition and supplement company which works with over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. No other company has the accolades of being awarded six innovation contracts from the Department of Defense for Human Performance. Since I started using PR lotion, I now use their plant-based protein, collagen peptides, and recovery formula. Look, if performing is important to you, do yourself a favor, go to livemomentous.com. And for listening today, you get the best part, a discount enter code DRB20 for 20% off your order. That's DRB and the number 20. com. Optimize, perform, and recover. com. So our guest, made his 200th Major League Soccer appearance this summer for Chicago Fire. He was drafted in 2006 by Chivas and was the MLS Rookie of the Year. Two-time MLS All-Star. He played professionally for Liga MX, won the championship 2012. He's made 38 appearances for the U.S. national team, played in the 2010 World Cup. He also helped the USA win CONCACAF Gold in 2007. Uh, our, our guests. I'm excited about this. It's been a while since we've had some soccer players on here, but uh, Johnny Bornstein. Johnny, man, thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us, man.
1: No, thank you, Dr. Rob. You know, it's a pleasure to be here to talk life, to talk soccer, to talk about mental toughness. Um, yeah, it's always a pleasure and really looking forward to this.
2: So you got to tell us real quick, man, like how's the, how's the golf game?
1: um the golf game is pretty good you know I think um obviously the weather here in Chicago doesn't allow for you to play year-round so the weather's been nice recently and a lot of us on the team who who play golf are trying to get out as much as you can um but yeah you know shooting in the low 80s um every once in a while I'll break 80 and, and get there in the 70s but that's once in a blue moon but it's a it's good I think you know more than anything it's it's good to kind of get away from just all soccer all the time and get out there on the course it's really relaxing and, and it really brings a few of, few of us players together and, and as a tight-knit group of, of guys who play play golf out there together yeah, absolutely so,
2: you know it's interesting because watching um the last dance i mean michael jordan obviously a big golfer loved to gamble but he said something it was kind of like because they would be playing all throughout nba playoffs and he kind of made the point he was like look this is really the only spot on the golf course where all of us can get together and not get bothered. And I thought that was like, that was such a righteous statement. You know, it's like, what, what, what benefits do you get like out of that game?
1: Um, I mean, uh, the first one that comes to mind is just the challenge of, of being able to stay, stay in the moment with golf, you know, keeping your, keeping your mind right. So you can focus on every single shot. Um, it really translates for me, that difficulty of doing that in golf to soccer as well and so you know for me it's like the enjoyment of how hard golf is um Mm -hmm. to do on a consistent basis um but then you know you hit a good shot you walk up to your ball and you can hit a horrible shot the next one and so it also teaches you like focus on the next shot always the next shot you can't dwell too much on what just happened you can always recover or you can always you know, do better on the next one. So I I love that about golf.
2: Now that kind of equates to your mentality playing wise, because you were always, you know, never too high, never too low of a player. Um, can you talk about just that mentality? I guess when it comes to like your career and how that's benefited you.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the term that comes to mind when you say never to get, never, never get too high in the high moments, never too low in the low moments is, is humility. You got to stay humble as the player. Um, when I first came into the league and I was in my rookie year, I had all the the older players as well as the, some of the coaching staff continually telling me, "Just stay humble, just stay humble." And you know, I, I never really heard that term growing up very much. But then, you know, when I got to the pro ranks, that's what they were saying. And so, you know, I like to think of humility as almost like an internal flame. Um, when you when you have humility, and you 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 know, you can either have a lot of doubt within yourself. And I would say that will suppress the flame. You know, it's, it's almost like pouring or putting a fire extinguisher on that flame a little bit. And if you put too much doubt into that humility, then you can extinguish the flame. But then on the other side, you've got belief, right? You can believe in yourself and, and that will help the flame grow just like pouring gasoline on it. But again, if you have too much belief, fire rages out of control and you know, you can burn yourself to the ground. So I like to think of that humility as just finding that right balance of that internal flame, keeping it inside nice and good. And then you keep yourself kind of in a middle ground. And so that's that's how I've always approached it, at least for the later years of, of my career.
2: Yeah. JB, I've um have you trademarked that yet? Cause I, I like that analogy a lot, man. It's solid.
1: I, I literally just made it up, well, created it. Um yeah. for, a, for a speech I did in front of uh amenities group. So I I really liked it. I it came up, I think I was like, I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm like, man, the internal flame. And so, yeah, I haven't trademarked it yet, but I really like that idea as well. So, um, you know,
2: as a junior, I mean, playing in the ranks and then talk to us about that transition into college and then how you made it to, to UCLA.
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, growing up in my youth development, I never really was able to play on the best teams. And that was the majority of the reasoning behind that was because, you know, my my parents worked a lot. And so I had to stay local because I needed rides to get to practice, to the games. And so the majority of my coaches lived very close to me and I played for the local club. Um, And so when I got my license, that's kind of when everything changed. And I went straight to the best team in Southern California, got a tryout. Made the team, and, and you know it was like 35, 40 minutes away in Irvine, California. And so, once I got to that team, it was still a little bit late in my development, so I wasn't being highly recruited uh, to a lot of colleges, you know, big D1 schools. And I, uh, I basically just went to a college night for Irvine Strikers and grabbed the book that was, you know, on the table. Had every college coach, um, their email, their contact information. And that night I went home, sent emails to every single coach in Southern California, you know, all the D1 schools, some D2 schools. And unfortunately, I only got one response from Cal Poly Pomona. And so in that response, they had also invited me to come see the school. I went, met Paul Jerry who was coming uh, to that school to coach for the first year. And mm-hmm. we sat down and, and basically he asked me, what do you want to do with soccer? And I said, for the first time in my life, I want to play professionally. And he said, well, if you want to play professionally, we got to get you to UCLA. And when he told me that, I, it really just took me back. I mean, I was like, well, do you want me to come here? Or do you want me to go to UCLA? You know? And so it was right. kind of the kind of first time in my life I really realized you really need other people to kind of help you uh, get to where you want to go in your life. Very, very amazing person, Paul Katajiri. You know I I still am very grateful to what you know how he helped me get to UCLA. So I had two really good seasons at, at Cal Poly Pomona, uh freshman of the year, then you know one of the top players in in the, the conference the my second year. And eventually I did make it to UCLA where I, you know, was able to to kind of get again to the to the better division one school and get seen a little bit more to, to then to then realize my dream of, of going pro.
2: Mm-hmm. So you never had it as a dream growing up to play professional soccer. It wasn't until you were in that room. First time you said it
1: first, first time I said it, I never really considered it. Um, you know, maybe it was a little bit of that doubt that I just spoke about not even considering myself like a professional tier player. Um, but growing up, soccer was just fun for me. It's just something I love to do. It was my, right. my passion and I never really considered, Oh, I could do this for a job. And I knew that soccer could get me to get an education, you know, help me at least pay for the education. And so that was my goal the whole time was to go to school, play soccer and get an education. And then the moment he asked me that something came up and it just was, that was what I decided to say. And, and good thing I did because, you know, if I if I hadn't, who knows if I would have had the career that I had.
2: Right. So, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, take me back to that moment. I mean, what was it that you think that you just kind of shouted out that answer?
1: Oh, man, I think, um, you know, when I was sitting there with Paul, we we had gone on a tour of the campus, and my, my father was with me. You know, he yep. my father and him were, were just really getting along. They, they had a really good rapport from the beginning. I was this 17-year-old, you know, acne-filled kid with low confidence um kind of low confidence in the world but on the soccer field with a lot of confidence um right and you know we were walking around that campus and i just saw the way paul carried himself and you know i i knew paul kalajiri from watching him um with you know his professional career at the galaxy as well as with the united states men's national team so i knew this guy had so much experience and, and had lived such a good you know soccer career and so as I was walking with him, you know, I was just thinking, man, what what must it be like to play professionally and all that? And so when we got into his office after all of that, I was alone with him. He asked me that question. I think that must have just been on my mind when I was thinking, man, this guy played professionally. I can do that too. And maybe somewhere inside of me was also thinking, if he's my coach, he could definitely help me get there. And so when yeah. I said that, and then when he said what he said, it just showed his humility and his ability to help me in whatever way you could.
0: Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website, drrobbell.com and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment.
2: You know, I've done a lot of research on a lot of Hall of Famers and a lot of people think, man, when they were really young, it was like, man, I'm going to, you know, be, you know, professional athlete. And yeah. some of them said that, but none of them ever said, I'm going to make it to the Hall of Fame. Like I've yet to come across. So it was like, like Herschel Walker, best, you know, running, one of the best running backs of all time. He just wanted to make it to Atlanta. You know, he was small town in Georgia. He just wanted to make it to play in Atlanta. He ends up playing in Georgia. I mean, you know, uh, national championship. When, when you said that, and the next couple of years, did that? Um, how did that kind of change your mindset in terms of where you wanted to go in the game?
1: Yeah. So, after he told me that we got to get you to UCLA, that was then my next goal, right? So I set that as yep. the bar that I had to hit, and that whole rookie year, he would constantly remind me, you know, we're getting you to UCLA, we're getting you to UCLA. So I always had that, you know, on the on the back of my mind while I was training, preparing in the games. That was my that was my focus. You know, obviously do the best that I can do for my team. I want we want to win. I want to be a leader within that group, win games, um, set that example. But then it was always that, okay, well, I'm probably going to be leaving this as well so that I can continue to to further develop and paul actually set up after my first my, my freshman season he set up a scrimmage between you know i think i believe it was uh navy or air force i can't remember one of those ucla and us so we had a little mini tournament where each team would play each other over a over a, a two-day span and the mm-hmm. first day we played uh i believe it was air force and i remember ucla was out there the coach was in the stands they were watching because they, we were going to be playing them the next day. And so I was just playing my heart out, was playing so well. And I remember I got a ball sent over the top. I was playing forward at that time um, and it kind of came over my shoulder and I turned on the ball and right as I went to kick it, the Air Force defender's foot was extended out and I just smashed his foot with, with my ankle. And I remember my ankle swelled up so much that I couldn't play in the game against UCLA the next day. And literally, Paul had set that whole thing up. Well, he never told anybody, but I kind of knew it was so that I could showcase my skills against UCLA. And I didn't even get to play in the game. And so then the coach had told Paul, he's like, well, I saw him play against the the Air Force, and I know what he can bring. I don't know if we're going to be able to bring him this year after his first season, but definitely after his second season. Um, and so then you know how life is things go out yeah. of control they never go as planned um, the coach at UCLA ends up I believe he passed away that season in 2002 mm-hmm. or three um, and so you know you never know who's going to be the next coach and you know that was such a sad moment for UCLA and and all of that and then the coach who came in happened to be a, a friend of Paul's as well. So kind of all you know worked out. And then I ended up yes, transferring finally after my second season. So wow man. Well I love always I always
2: say like we can't connect the dots looking forward. We can only connect them looking backwards and seeing the impact you know one person had in your life. I mean, you know, walk us through then um you finish up at, at UCLA, you get drafted. And and that whole process, then then like your because it it's the college to pro jump is a whole new level. And talk to us about like how what your transition was like.
1: Yeah. So I think my uncle has always told it to me best. My uncle loves soccer. He's got two daughters. He coached them. You know, we would always juggle our the ball in in his backyard whenever I came over. And they didn't play my father or my uncle didn't play soccer growing up. So But he's always told it to me, he's like, every level I've ever seen you play at, you always start as like one of the timid kind of players who's probably not up to the level, but very quickly you kind of adapt yourself up to where you have to be, right? And he said Mm -hmm. you saw saw it from your high school experience to, to college, going from D2 to D1, took a little while to get into your rhythm, then you got drafted, you know, I was able to, well, first make the team. For chivas usa and then become a starter for the first uh for the first my first professional game and and actually change positions and so right from a forward slash midfielder attacking player to a left fullback which i had never played in my in my career so you know that ability to be adaptable i think is the is the biggest thing to be able to adjust to any circumstance or any change that that needs to take place in the moment and that's something that i was able to do and You know, I think more than anything, it's a it's a mindset thing of of not being afraid to take risks to grow, and also just uh, you know, kind of being being lucky. But I don't want to say lucky, but being prepared for the moment always.
2: Right.
1: I think they say. I think they say uh, what the the five P's. It's like plan, preparation, prevents. Our proper preparation prevents poor performance. Yeah, very that's, nice, that, man. That's uh, that's another one that that's not mine, but I I love that. Those yeah. five.
2: What was it about your skill set, man, that would take you from, you know, forward and and to to a left back?
1: Yeah, I, I you know, I think what I always thought was when when Bob Bradley asked me to play left fullback, you know, in my in my. In my mind, I was saying, man, I've never played that before. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it. But what I told him was, yeah, you know, I, I've played forward my whole life. I I, I know what it, I know what forwards are thinking, you know, attacking players are thinking. So I'll just turn it around in my head and and, and now I'll defend against what I would normally try and do. And so that was the approach I took was okay, yeah. it's gonna be super hard nosed. Outwork, outrun every single forward. Be you know hard in the tackles, and then at the same time, I'm gonna get forward as if I were an outside winger or a forward, and and get crosses in and just find myself attacking. So that was the approach that I took, and yeah. I think I feel like it worked out.
2: <laughs> yeah, and no no problem then hustling back on defense either.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. So one of my best qualities ever was that I was super fit. I was, you know, I had a good engine in me. I could on fitness tests in preseason, I was always first or second, depending on, you know, who was on the team at the time. So that going up and down, getting, getting forward, coming back, that was always uh, a a very strong quality of mine as well.
2: So playing um, under coach Bradley, what what were some of the things that stood out about, you know, him as a coach and, and your old relationship and the things you've learned?
1: Um, yeah, the thing that stood out most um, to me was how dedicated to the game he was. Um, you know, I never met a coach who was constantly studying film, not just on our team, but on the best teams in the world, trying to learn. You know, what is it about them? Their trends, their intricacies that that make them the best team in the world? Because no, obviously they have a lot of good players on back in the day it was AC Milan that he watched a lot uh going forward. It was a little bit of Barcelona. Um, And nowadays you could probably watch Real Madrid or, or Bayern Munich to, or Man City to find those similar qualities, right? So he was always watching the best to see what they were doing and trying to implement them into his own team, right? And so he obviously knew his 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 player pool wasn't something of, what AC Milan had, but he was able to adapt it to his, the players he did have. Um, and that really always impressed me about him. Yeah. Both with Chivas and then also with the national team.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, When, when you were done with Chivas and then you started playing internationally, what was that? What was that transition like for you?
1: Yeah, I would say that was probably the hardest transition I've ever had in my life. Um, that one definitely took me a while to get adjusted to you know i was going from a, a from from a country that you know i i was comfortable in i was i speak the language i grew up here i i know a lot of people i um you know my family was here and i left to go to monterrey mexico where i didn't speak spanish i was hoping you know there would have been more english different culture new teammates um and within that culture soccer is is king in mexico right Mm -hmm. unfortunately they say in the united states it's not so the pressure was a lot lower in the united states and when i got to mexico the pressure was a lot higher and to adjust to all of those factors that i just mentioned it just pretty much overwhelmed me and i to be honest i didn't play my best soccer for the first year year and a half um can i ask a question yeah
2: i don't want to interrupt with the flow but not speaking that language, how did you like feel that pressure? Was it just from the crowds and everybody going nuts all the time,
1: or like how did yeah, you I mean, internalize it? That? I, I, it was just the pressure to perform, right? I, yeah. I, you know, soccer player, you're literally signing the contract, knowing like, okay, they're signing me so that I perform on the field, right? And you know, I can again, the coach trying to change my position at Tigres. he tried to put me as a, a six or a, a defensive center mid. And I did pretty well for a a little bit, but then, you know, just kind of lost my, lost my flow, lost my, my confidence in that position, uh, after a few mistakes, uh, early on in the season. And it was very, very difficult. I, I didn't handle it well. Again, I was alone by myself. You know, there's so many reasons. And the biggest reason was I was blaming it on everybody else. Instead of taking accountability for it myself, I was saying, ah, the coach is not playing me for this, this, and this, because I don't speak the language or because I'm I'm not fitting into the team. But really, it was all on me. And, you know, it took about three years to really, really nail that down, that I'm the only one who's going to get me out of the situation. I'm the only one responsible for all all of this. And, you know, I can count the number of times I played in games on two hands for three years at TV. Really? Yeah, nine times. <laughs> so, not coming. So coming from being a, a pure starter at Chivas USA, earning my spot on the national team, playing in the World Cup as a starter, you know, to then go and only play nine games in 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 three years, it was a pretty pretty difficult situation to handle. And so, I was it was tough. That's why I say, man, it was the hardest transition for me because it took a long time for me to get adjusted, and then. Earned my, my way back even into the sport. So that was tough.
2: Can you, um, this is the part that, man, can you just talk to us a little bit more about how you endured and persevered and came through that? Cause I mean, it would have been, your story would have been different had you kind of said, Hey, you know, I mean, I had a pretty good career and I'm just not happy anymore. What what was it about you and, and how did you, you know, overcome that?
1: Yeah. So you know, throughout that whole time, I never really stopped enjoying soccer, right? I wasn't playing in the games, but I trained hard every single day. I, I still felt like I was part of the team, even though you know I wasn't I wasn't playing that right. much. Um for for the majority of that time I was always healthy and ready to go, just never given the opportunity. And so a part of me always thought as well, like, well, I'm just not in the decisions of the coaching staff, right? Like the coach just isn't putting me putting me into play, which went along with my negative thinking of always the coach's fault at that time. Um, but in reality, you know, I could have done more to have created a, a, another image in the coach's mind to get me on the field. But so that was the thing. I ju- I just never gave up. I just it never even crossed my mind that this is not fun anymore I'm uh you know I'm not enjoying at least training and and practicing and, and, and all of that but just the not playing in the games that was the part the true part that kind of hurt and so right. um I always felt like I still had a lot more to give and uh, in those moments and I just needed to find a new team and then everything really really changed the moment that I I was able to get you know go on loan to a new team and you know, kind of find my my niche within that team. A lot of different factors happened at that same time as well, like meeting my wife, um, who who completely changed my life for the, for the better. Um, you know, she, at my new team, I was also asked to come to Bible study. And for the first time ever, I went to a Bible study. Um, you know, I grew up in a Jewish family. So mm-hmm. I, whenever I was asked in Mexico to go to a Bible study, I was always very standoffish for those first three years. You know, and then finally something in me after I met my wife, I said, yes. And then I came home. I told her, hey, I went to Bible study. And she said she started crying. (laughs) Really? I was like, why are you crying? You know, she said, I've been praying for you that you will find your faith. You'll find God. um, And I've never told you that I've been praying for you. And the fact that you came to me and said, let's, let's, I went to Bible study. Let's go to church it was just life-changing for us and so that was a, another really really positive moment um about how that all came around at the same time that i found a new team started playing again right am a regular starter and so that never give up attitude that i had in Tigres was finally paying off uh once again and then with that
2: transition and and faith in your wife like how was life then like how did everything change
1: so if i were to you know Characterize it as the three, so first five years professional, living the dream, starter, national team, go to Mexico, three years, kind of a nightmare Mm -hmm. (laughs) where not playing at all, struggling to just, you know, stay afloat within the team. um, And then transition that to meeting my wife, finding my faith, kind of revamping my career in soccer yet again like a, another dream but even better because i had a i had a support system there someone who was really just behind me pushing me up lifting me up um and yeah creating a family with her just made everything that much more special someone to actually share personally with uh, you know my career my life her career her life and and grow together that was that was probably the most important thing and it it definitely i think was you know the best thing to happen to me Definitely in number of years, but probably in my entire life.
2: Yeah, that's awesome, man. I I really appreciate you sharing that. I mean, was it yeah. that time then that you um, started playing in Israel?
1: No, so that that all happened. So I was in Tigres in Monterrey. Then I I went on loan to to Queretaro, uh, Los Gallos Blancos of Queretaro, and she had she's from my wife is from Brazil. Okay. And she had come left Brazil. She studied in Brazil, grew up in Brazil. She left Brazil to come work in in Mexico. So she went to Queretaro, um, probably in like 2000 and I believe nine, 10, somewhere around there. Um, and she she's a corporate lawyer. She eventually was working at Deloitte, the the law firm, mm-hmm. uh, accounting firm. And she realized I can go out on my own and do this instead of making other people a lot of money and I'm doing all the work, right? So, she's, so she took a chance on herself, she left. And that was kind of the exact moment that we met. She was uh, a friend of one of my teammates' wives and he kept telling me, hey, I wanna introduce you to my wife's friend. She's a lawyer, great woman. And weeks would pass and I would come up to him and say, hey, when are you gonna introduce me to your, you know your wife's friend? He's like, they're coming to the game this weekend let's uh I'll, I'll introduce you then. and so unfortunately i was hurt at that that during that game and so well not unfortunately fortunately i was hurt actually because i was up in the suite with my assistant coach watching the game and she and my wife's friend were sitting in the suite behind us. i didn't know it was them but i kind of connected the dots and so i said to my assistant coach i'm going to sit up here with you know behind them and i started talking to them. my friends were there. we were all talking and you know things just kept going. And we, through that conversation, you know, I asked her to to go to lunch the next day and we did, we went to lunch, we went bowling and then, you know, we were inseparable ever since then. So and yeah. that was during the time when I had arrived at Queretaro, right when I was arriving. And then my next four and a half years at Queretaro while we were together, had our, had our, we got married, had our kids. Um, and yeah, then we went to Israel. So. Yeah,
2: talk to us about. I, mean, I love that story, man, because it's fantastic. I mean, because who knows, right? If you weren't injured at that point, mm-hmm. you might have gotten in the game that day, right? And I mean, it might not have connected. So, I mean, that's that's what I always talk about those those hinge moments. I mean, it's it's fantastic, man.
1: Yeah, you know, and you made me think of a, another moment that was a hinge moment at that exact time because I was getting injured a lot toward between 2013 and 2014. I um, yeah. And at that same time, my dad was also battling cancer. He was battling esophageal cancer and he was deteriorating back home and I wasn't present with him. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel like that hit, what he was going through was affecting me uh, both on the field and off the field. And I was getting injured injuries that I'd never even considered before, never even had pains in those areas of my body before. And so at the same time I met my wife my dad calls and they say you need to come home it's it's pretty bad so he was in the hospital my teammate Querétaro actually uh let me go for two weeks they said take as much time as you need so I was actually with my dad for his last two weeks of his life Hmm. but the moment after my dad passed away and through talking with him um it really just kind of freed me right and so I Knock on wood. I'm gonna knock on wood right here. I haven't been injured since my dad passed away. And I arrived back in Queretaro. And my wife and I decided, you know, we we decided, okay, it's time. Let's move, let's, let's take this relationship to the next step and, and decide to, to create our life together. So that hinge moment of unfortunately my dad passing away, being injured, meeting my wife, they're you know, there's they're very all connected. And you can look at them as negatives or positives, but for me, they're all positive, although they seem negative um, because it, it allowed me to continue my life going forward even stronger.
2: Yeah. And so, your yeah. experience then playing in Israel.
1: Talk to us about that part. Um, so Israel was, if you can compare the transition of me going from United States to Mexico as extremely hard to a new country, new culture, being alone. A lot of those same factors are in there with the transition from mexico to israel but the the biggest one is that i was with my wife and my two daughters right and so it made it so easy because we were going there as a, a family i knew what i was there to do um i was there to to play soccer take care of my family um, enjoy the culture learn the language learn everything and i just accepted it with open arms Maybe because I already had learned everything that I, I learned about transitions going from United States to Mexico and how difficult it was. And I knew what I didn't need to do and what I what I really needed to do. And well, so- what, what
2: would be an example of that?
1: Um, so when I got to Mexico, I, was, I wanted to get like a, a super nice car and a, a new nice house because I was gonna be on my own, right? And so none of that really mattered. It was just find a good apartment in a good area right Uh, doesn't need to be in a super big or anything right um and so that is one the other one is is you know learn a little bit about the language um just so that i can communicate in in a basic way um two was don't go out of control partying (laughs) because when i was 25 at the time and alone and Uh, probably was partying a little bit too much Mm -hmm. trying to fill the void of just being alone. Sure. Um, And so, yeah, so those are three things. Okay. That's great. Didn't do anything. Didn't do any of that going into Israel. Um, The better part was that my wife and my support system with my, my two daughters, we were there together and experiencing that together. So um, it was hard on my wife though, because she had her law firm, has her law firm, and she was gonna be eight hours time difference from, from her clients, from her, her employees. And so it was very, very difficult on her to start her day at five o'clock in the afternoon and they're just starting in Mexico, right? So um, it wasn't yeah. easy for us, but, and I can't speak for her, but for me, the transition was was so much easier than the previous transitions I'd had in my life. and. <laughs> Turned out to be really good our experience there for one year.
2: Yeah. And then when you get the call, man, come back to the US. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have had to been, I mean, prayers answered when it comes to that. I mean, walk, walk us through, I mean, how that was
1: for you. Yeah. So, you know, I was there I was what, 34 at the at the time.
2: Still a young man.
1: Yeah, still a young man, right? And yeah, my my at that kind of the later years, 32, 34. My biggest thing has always just been continuing to play and and getting that contract yeah and my wife was is is on board with that in terms of wherever it needs to be as long as we continue to play as long as you can it's your passion um and so you know i get that call to go to chicago in january actually of 2018 um 2019 sorry and At that moment my team in israel were battling for the the state cup or the the open cup pretty much like the u.s open cup but the Mm -hmm. israeli cup and we're in second place in the league and maccabi and hadn't been to 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 like a europa league qualifying or a, a european tournament in i think 30 something years 40 years they hadn't won the cup in 70 years i believe and so somewhere it was either 47 or 74, I can't remember, but in a long time, right? Yeah. And so we were, we were in January, we were still in both of those tournaments competing to, to, to be one of the top teams. And so when I get the call in January, Maccabi Atanas says, There's no way we're letting you go at all. No way it's it's over. And I spoke with the coach in Chicago and I um Vlechko at the time. I told him, look, the team's not going to let me go, so I'm sorry, right? Fast forward to May, we make it to the finals of the cup in Israel. We're still in second place, and Chicago is still calling. Like we want him, and the team says, "No, we're not letting him go." May, whatever, May, middle of May, we've got the final. We've we got two games left in the season, and this is a like dream season for the club, right? Okay, now, now we play in the final. In in Haifa, amazing stadium, amazing atmosphere. We go up one zero. We're we're winning one zero up up until the eighty seventh minute, and they score on us. We go to overtime, penalty kicks, and we lose the final in penalty kicks. Mm. And it was so it would have been the first time in seventy something years that the the team would have won. Super disappointed. Go into the last game of the season, still in second place, and we're playing the fourth place team. We end up losing that game and finishing in fourth. Only the top three teams in the league make Europa League uh, qualifying. Wow. So we get eliminated both from winning the final, all of the European competitions, and Chicago is still calling. And then they say, we want you, we want you. And it, the Israeli team said, you know what? If you want to go, we'll let you go for free. So it was they only wanted to keep me if we were going to be making the European tournaments. Yeah and unfortunately that's how that all worked out and my wife and i decided yeah let's get back on the same time zone as mexico and we came to chicago
2: yeah and it's, it's amazing man yeah
1: so a lot of hinge it's moments in story, your life but man. i hope you enjoyed that well i mean, i think
2: that's yeah. an important part you know i mean it's it's uh when 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 the opportunity hits and preparation i mean with you know talking with um Harado, Torado, and John Bush. I mean, so those are probably the the best veterans I ever had a chance to share a locker room with, you know, as a coach and then them as players. And they both, they were the ones that showed up earliest. They were the last ones to leave. And John Bush and and Torado both said the same thing. They said, everyone talks about wanting our careers, but nobody wanted to do the things that it took to have that career. Because, I mean, for those guys in longevity, can you talk to us about what are all the small things that you had to do along your journey, you know, in order to stay healthy, in order to stay ready, in order to stay sharp and and all those small details that go into the preparation?
1: Yeah, first I will say those both those players are role models for me when I, you know, a little bit older than I am, had great careers. Um, and so it, it was a pleasure playing against both those guys throughout my career. Um, yeah, but some of the things, you know, that I've had to do always, but more so toward the later years of my life uh, and my career is, you know, get get to the, the training facility early, right? Because before training, you never know what you're going to be feeling in your body as you start moving. So a, a lot of times it's going in the hot tub, getting out, taking a, a like a, a check of what do I need today? Um I tape my my big toe and my second toe on both feet every single day. Um, so it's like my little they they joke with me. It's my arts and crafts time, but that's an everyday thing. So I don't get blisters because I hate getting a blister on the big toe and not being able to, to just feel comfortable in my own shoes. Right. So I do that every single day. It's all of the 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 rolling out on foam foam rollers uh, to get the muscles kind of pliable and moving. Uh, in the morning. It's all the injury prevention that we do, like ankle exercises, um, just in the gym, whatever it is that that you need to do to get ready. And a lot of guys take that for granted. They just show up, kind of sit there in the locker room, go out to train, come back, do what's asked of them if the coaches are asking them, but they you know, not really doing a lot of extra. And all the guys who do extra are the ones who who. You can see are, are going places within with when within their career, and so I've always tried to do that. Go be in the gym, work extremely hard on the field, um and all the the little little things to keep myself to keep myself ready. Get get massage, get treatment. Even though early in my career, I didn't really feel like I needed treatment, and even the older players are like, "Why are you in here? Get out of here! <laughs> get out of the treatment room!" But I think that mentality's changed, and I think. All players, if you're feeling a little bit of something, you should get treatment for it um, just to keep yourself at peak performance. Um, So, yeah, those are some of the things that on a daily basis you have to be doing. What were some of
2: the things mentally you did to prepare?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I think mentally, I didn't really get into the mental side of the game more so until I got to Mexico and we had a, a mental coach. And they would do exercises with us um such as like visualization exercises where you imagine yourself on the field before a big game talk to the coach about some of the movements some of the the runs you're going to be making maybe a a cross you know just imagining what what can happen throughout that game um in your mind and so when i started doing that i you know i found the games that i did that beforehand i i you know i went into that game with a lot of confidence and i played well And who knows if it was because of that or other preparational tools that we do, but that was my first taste of kind of using mental toughness as 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 a tool to to play physically in the game. Um, And then going forward from there, you know, I started to do some meditation, where I, you know, this was before they had the Headspace app, but I would do it before a game, just lay in bed, put on, find on YouTube like a, a motivating musical something and mm-hmm. just lay there for 15 minutes, just letting the thoughts come and whatever happened, happen. relaxation slash, you know, mental motivation. And so did some of that as well. I feel like that really helps um, the Headspace app now, you know, I use that quite a bit, especially in preseason where I feel like I've come off some time where I haven't been dedicating my mind to the game. And I really need to just kind of put myself in the right, in the right frame of mind. Uh, I use that quite a bit, Um, but I've always considered myself like a strong mental player who can stay focused and concentrated in the right moments. You know, we use the term tuned in uh, on the field, like stay tuned in, stay tuned in because you never want to get distracted on the field. Um, And so I've always considered myself a a strong mental guy in that that respect, able to push through like when I'm tired, find that second wind uh, and a fitness test. I want to quit, but I just keep going for some reason. And that, that I felt like I was always strong in that respect. Yeah. How well have
2: you gotten over the years of just getting over mistakes or bad games?
1: Yeah. So I think with the maturation of of my career, you know, at the beginning, those mistakes really, really hurt me. I mean, they would just knock my confidence out, you know, out the water or out the, out the window. And it was tough to get it back. Um, At that same time, like in the middle of my career, this is when social media started to come about. And so you'd make a mistake with the national team and you would get crushed by fans online. Twitter, anyone can say what they want and they would say very bad things and I would be reading these things and it would really affect me. Um, And then that kind of happened in Mexico as well with the pressure of wanting to perform and the fans and the press being a, a lot, a lot even more intense than the United States. And so I did let those things get to me for for quite some time. But then I kind of just got to a point where it was like, you know what? The only people who really matter within my circle are my family members, my teammates, the coaching staff, you know, the upper management within the club and everyone in the organization, because they're the ones who see me on a daily basis, putting in the work, putting putting in the effort, all the preparation I'm doing to go out there and do my best. And just because I make one mistake on the field doesn't mean that i'm a bad person or i'm a bad player and everyone knows that what i put in on a daily basis and that's all that matters you know and so sometimes mistakes happen and now now that i'm an older player that's the approach i take and you know i've made a bad mistake in our last game against montreal in montreal actually two really bad mistakes and you know no one even said anything to me from my entire team and i felt like i took the accountability the responsibility but they were bad. We probably lost the game because of them. And I felt horrible. And, you know, I, I was also playing in a different position than I would ever played. I haven't. I played in the defensive center mid, the same one I played in Tigres, and the same one I didn't play very well at. So right, I right on this challenge thinking, you know, I'm a better player because of all of those experiences. And I started the game well, I was doing well, and then all of a sudden just one bad mistake, boom. And so, but... I came back from that much faster than I would have if, if, when I was a younger player. And, you know, I apologized to some teammates. And they're like, what do you mean you're apologizing? They're like, it's the first mistake you've made all year. You know, we know what you bring to the team. And I'm like, yeah, but I just wanted to be open with you guys. And, and so, yeah. So the growth of that, yes, the mistakes hurt a lot when I was younger. But now, it's you know, people need to realize we're all human beings. We're going to make mistakes. I think it's more important how you balance back. Next play what happens
2: next? Just a, a general question. Since all your years in different cultures, different environments, different leagues, what do you think is and kind of talent aside, right? So I'm not talking about like the, the absolute freaks. I'm mm-hmm. talking about those that are at that level. What do you think is the main difference between people that really excel? And then those that are just not going to make it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I- That's a tough question because I always felt like I was going to be one of the players who didn't make it based on that I wasn't as talented as some of my, you know, teammates growing up. I saw that the way they handled the ball, the way they, the way they just ran on the field, their strength, their ability to control the ball, everything. They were much more talented than I was. Um, And, you know, they didn't end up making it. And then you had me over here who... I always felt my heart, my best quality was my ability to work hard and stay gritty and driven and um, just accept any challenges as a like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do my best. You know, and it wasn't more like, oh, I'm so talented that I, I can do whatever I want out there. And so I think the players who truly make it and have long and, you know, big careers, You're always going to have those outliers, like you said, right? The guys who had a lot of talent and a lot of drive um, and they succeed. But I think the guys who have that grit and drive and not so much talent continually get better throughout their careers um, and kind of solidify themselves as a guy you can depend upon, trust, and count on when, when, uh, the you know, the, moments are hitting the fan or yeah. or whatever you know whenever you need them they're there to play well so i think that's the key i think you got to have some talent obviously but you got to have that drive that inner drive to just get better and succeed every single day
2: and do you think part of it is then because you knew you didn't have that that upper echelon talent that that was the only path to make it work where some people they could get by on the talent right i mean they could just not do the small things they have to
1: yeah. No, I, I think you said it best. That is the exact reason. I think that was my, my way of compensating for my lack of talent. Yeah. was, you know, being the guy who was going to work harder than everybody else because that's what separated me. I always say you've got to be a top five player every single day. My coach um, from the Irvine Strikers, Don Ebert, he's actually the one who said that, but it, it stuck with me because, you know, the coach has 20 something players that he needs to worry about. 11 are going to be starters but every day in training you know he's only thinking about oh who was the best in training today so you got to be in that he's thinking about who's the best and then obviously who was the worst like why is this player always you know making mistakes making our life so much harder whether you know and so you need to be that top five player every single day in training in the games to set yourself apart from everybody else for me it was working harder than everybody else maybe not you know dribbling past five guys and scoring a goal in the upper upper ninety, right? It was it was running back on defense, battling, getting on the ground, um, running up to to chase down a ball, running back to chase down a ball. So those were those are not qualities of a talented player. Those are more of just a guy who's gonna work his, his ass off. Right.
2: And and even I mean is it even as simple as just, you know, making clean passes and then just being off the ball the best you can?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. That I think I've always been a simple player. Um, I think that, you know, the more simple players you have on the field, you know, connecting the ball, connecting the plays. Um, yeah, I think coaches really look look for that as well as a quality of a player, you know, guys who are not overcomplicating things, maybe take risks uh every once in a while, but in the right moment. And someone who is gonna be spacing himself well on the field as well, getting yeah. forward, getting back, making runs, creating diversions, things like that. So it's all the mind game of the of the mental side, the mind right. intelligence game, soccer IQ game of 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 soccer.
2: In in terms of that, with the soccer IQ, I mean, what is it now? I mean, how do you approach the game now as opposed? That's different from, you know, when you first came in the league.
1: I mean, every I think it's pretty similar for for a lot of players when they come into the league. Um, you know, you got that like eagerness of a of a rookie. You want to you want to show well, so you. You run around a lot, like with your almost like a chicken with his head cut off, right? You just run around all over the place, trying to break up plays, make plays. Um, when when really as you get older and you get that veteran mindset, um, you realize like your positioning on the field is much more important than running around all over the place, trying to create change, right? So you being in the right position and knowing your role within the within the group, I think that becomes a, a much bigger, bigger. And, priority and then as you get older as well you know when i'm younger you're they they probably allow you to to make mistakes and learn and, and are teaching you and things like that and as you get older you kind of transition into the role of now you are doing that to the younger players right you're you're you're, you're being a lot more vocal you're being a much bigger or have a bigger role of leadership on the team and so you know as, as a young player you're just Trying to learn and learn everything, trying to internalize it, and then as you get older, you have that experience, and you need to be helping the younger guys. So I, you know, it's a, it's a big, big flow from, I say like the eagerness of a, of a rookie to the to the vet and maintain the vet mindset of a of a of a veteran.
2: Yeah. So one thing I'm always kind of fascinated about is like when it comes to parents of like young academy players and. I always kind of make the joke, but no one ever has an ugly baby, right? Everyone's baby is the cutest ever. And, but you yeah. know, those, those that have like the talents, what's the what's the message that you think parents need to hear if they have a player though, that that's talented and, and wants it.
1: I mean, as a, from the parent side of things, I think you got to just support your kids in anything they want to do. Right. And so if you've got a kid who's also showing promise as talented, hardworking, you got to do whatever you need to do as a parent to then nurture that as well. Right. So if, if they're in the Academy system, I, I I mean, it's tough to say, but you probably just got to let the kid go into those academies and learn from the coaching staff that is being provided and everything, unless you yourself are a, are a very high level soccer mind and things like that. You can be, helping them because you know i feel like my the best thing my dad did for me was just say like you know what i coached you those first couple of years you're way past my level go and he just came and supported me he was in the stands and he never said anything from the sidelines so i was able to just be me and he never tried to control what i wanted with soccer or anything he just was there to support me so i don't think there's much that we can do as parents other than support them that's
2: it (laughs) well i hope you don't mind me asking that question too man because i'm always kind of fascinated by the journey and the the role sometimes that parents put themselves in when it's you know like you said it's being about letting them go and do their own journey
1: Mm -hmm. exactly so i think that's all i know that's what my dad did it it, it, i'm here doing this so um yeah no other advice other than that yeah let let them go
2: it's gonna be fun, man, when you when your kids getting a little bit older and then seeing the uh the fourth grade soccer dad going absolutely nuts on the sideline.
1: <laughs> I know I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait for that to happen. See if I take my own advice in this moment to my future self in whatever. Thing, the thing is, is you've
2: got you've got you've got street cred. So I mean they'll they'll defer to you pretty quick when when they say, Oh, okay. Well, maybe he knows what he's
1: talking about. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah. Hey, no, you know I've yeah, always one of my um one of our team administrator. He was a, a basketball coach for our, for high school boys, and it it always stuck w- with me what he said. He said, you know, the parents would would come over and yell at uh, to the to their teammates, or I'm sorry, to their kids on the on the court, and all this stuff. And then they'd come up to him after the game, like, "Why isn't my kid playing anymore? Like more than this, you know? Why he's so much better?" And the my Team administrator, Alex, he just said, you know, like, you want to see why your kid is not playing more. Come to practice. Come to practice and, and see why your kid's not playing more, right? And the dad never said anything after that. You know, they, like a lot of times we as parents will just go to the games and we want right. to see the best for our kids. but they're not there for the entire process, right? So that's, that's why I say let them go because in that process of training and preparing and being with the coaches, being with those teammates and everything – that's where they're really like learning. And that's where they're really gaining their time to then play in the games. If the parents aren't part of that process, then they show up and you're just not really knowing what's going on, right? So that's why I say that. Because, or or be part of that entire process. That's the other other side.
2: No, it's good, man. I think that's why a lot of coaches now, they're charting everything that they can in practices Mm -hmm. just to show, you know, not that they're having the conversations with the parents, but even just show the the player. Hey, look, this is this is your passing percentage. This is your shooting percentage. This is why, you know, you're not getting in. So, um, yeah. I mean, a couple more questions for you, man. Like playing against Lionel Messi, what what was that experience like, and and what did you uh, what did you learn from it?
1: Man, what a what an amazing experience that was. To be honest, you know, it was early on in my career. I believe in 2007. We we're playing in Copa America down in uh, Venezuela. That in, that entire experience was was out of this world because, you know, Venezuela and the United States at the time didn't have very good political, you know, mm-hmm. backing, or they just didn't have a good relationship at the time. And so the entire time we had like armed guards with us, helicopters flying over the bus as we we're driving to to, to training and into the games. And so this we felt important, you know. Like I felt like, wow, what? I feel important down here in Venezuela, you know, with all this protection. And so, then we go into the game, and the the stadium was rocky. And I mean, we're in South America, my first time in South America. Um, very, you know, different climate, different fans, just different everything. The stadium was set up in a way where, you know, fans were kind of separated from us, from by by fences and things and i'm like wow this is what's going on and then to know that i'm going to be guarding lionel messi who's one of the best up-and-coming players in the world uh i just said you know i'm gonna shut this guy down <laughs> that's what i said I said i'm gonna run i'm gonna just get stuck in on him i'm not gonna let him give him time to 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 dribble around and find passes and things like that and so that was what i tried to do i tried to be close to him um you know, not so close that he could just run in behind me but I knew when he receives the ball, if he gets going, no one's stopping him. So that was my idea, just try and stop him as quickly as possible. And, you know, I personally think I did a, a pretty good job with him. Um, you know, second half, he did switch sides to the other side of the field. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we end up losing that game. But, yeah, great experience. I can say I, I guarded one of, the, one of the best in the world.
2: You made him switch sides of the field?
1: I don't know that I can say I made him, but he just – he did switch sides.
2: So what I hear from this story, man, is that, you know, he didn't want to go up against you anymore, so he asked Coach to put him on the other side to stay away from that J.B. guy.
1: If you read it that way, I – Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's what I, I'm, I'm hearing. Okay, okay yeah, no. I, I can always say he switched sides at halftime, right? I don't – Yeah. And all the – I mean, it was it was good. I, I I thought I had a good game, good defensive game um and you know it was a it was a great experience
2: yeah no i I love it jb i mean even in the interview man the people that are listening um i mean they they listen because of the mental toughness because the athletes and coaches that they come across so i know that they're going to be here even from this man the the humility that's coming from you so i mean it uh um my my last question man is like what question should i be asking that
1: that i'm not asking Um. I mean, you've asked some really great questions to spur a lot of great ideas. uh I've never been the good one at asking questions, and I think that's always been my problem so um you know, to be honest, I think you did it you're doing an amazing job you've you've got a lot of experience in this as well, and I think you put me on the spot that I can't come up with any any type questions that you should be asking um yeah, no, you're doing great. Want to listen to your favorite music, but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today? Tune in to kukoradio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station. Play nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at kukoradio.com.
2: I know you have a couple of years. Your goal is to play till you're forty. What's the transition after
1: that look like for you? Um, you know, I uh, I started to do a little bit of a little bit of preparation for that moment. Um, I could see myself going a, a few different directions. Um, you know, I, obviously I, the main thing from all that is I want to stay in soccer. Um, you know, i has been my passion since I was three years old. You know, just sport in general, but um I did prepare this last year. I, you know, I did my B license for the United States soccer coaching. Um, and so that was an amazing experience. I wanted to get that under my belt just to kind of see what it was like. Uh I was a, a volunteer assistant at Northwestern. So I got to, to experience a little bit of the college game as well as you know, I live within the, the pro game, but not coaching but playing. Um, and so. I think coaching could be a, a a very interesting avenue for me after. Um, I do really find the business side of the, the sport very interesting as well. So something with you know the sporting director or uh technical director or anything within in, in the game on the business side um also seems interesting to me. Um and then we'll see. I I you know, I, like you said, I just want to play till I'm um, I'm, I'm 40 I think that would be a great number to be able to say as a field player you made it to and then also you know sharing my story I think that could be another another avenue that um you know allows me to to kind of help the future generations do better and start from better starting points than I did when I was their ages
2: mm-hmm.
1: absolutely man anything I can do to give back to the sport that's what I'm gonna try and do
2: Johnny man thanks so much again for uh for really taking the time and, and contributing to the podcast and, uh, just really appreciate you, man. Thanks so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for the amazing questions taking me on this journey, uh, you know, of my life pretty much, you took me pretty much from the beginning to the end. And, I, you know, it was, a it was great talking with you. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. And thanks brother. Yeah. Thank you to all the fans out there too.
0: For listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.